Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. If you're new here, welcome to the podcast for the very first time. I am so proud that you decided to come in and listen. Um, So right off the get-go, let me just put this out here. If you're in any type of danger of domestic violence or any type of violence, please do not listen to this podcast. Um, Never ever do we want you to be in an unsafe situation. If you're in need of assistance, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline number at 1-800-799-7233. If you cannot reach an advocate on the other end of that line, you're always uh, free to look up domesticshelters.org. They are an online service. They have so much information and resources that um, link you to your local shelters, local crisis lines, and it, you know, it's always good to reach out to your local crisis lines, to your state crisis lines and things like that also. So with all that being said, I'm going to do a little bit of a public service announcement before um, myself and my special guests get started here on the podcast. I want to say if anyone approaches you or says to you, listen, you can come on the podcast or on my platform or my podcast, but you have to pay to tell your story or to give your expert advice, just to be honest with you, that is a very uh, not right thing to do, very immoral, like immorally wrong. It is not um, something that I personally think that is right for people to do to people because your story is, you know, it is yours. And it is a life-saving tool for other people. So you should not have to pay to have your voice heard. You should not pay to put your story out there on anyone's platform, on anyone's podcast, okay? Period. That should not even be an option. So I'm just telling you this because this platform and this podcast will not ever accept money from any survivor or anyone in that is willing to come on and talk about their stories of survival, their inspiration, their, you know, whatever. You're free to speak on this platform free of charge. Um, With all that being said, I have a wonderful guest. Let's kind of like spin the wheels here. Um, Elise Maslonic. I don't want to mess her name up. God love her. (laughs) Um, She is the 2023 Remarkable Woman of the Year. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. She is also the CEO of Redefined Advisors. And she has came on to the, she's coming on to the podcast today to talk about how she was able to overcome generational abuse on kind of like, she, it was kind of carried on into her life um, as a young girl. And then she carried it on into other relationships throughout her life. So, Miss Elise. Hi, Missy. Hi, it's so girl. good to be here. It's so great to have you here. So, um, yeah. So let's just kind of kick it all off. You can kind of like give everyone a little rundown of who you are and kind of sure. kind of how you got here. Yeah. So, um, as you said, my name's Elise Maslonic. Um, I am uh, the founder and CEO of Redefined Advisors. Uh, we are a development company that helps underprivileged children. Um, and I'm really proud of the fact in the last year, we've raised over $8.5 million for underprivileged students. And the, the reason why that is so important to me and why I started my company was because 
access to education is a generational issue. Mm. And I recognize that so much of my story was impacted from my mother's story and my grandmother's story before her, right? Mm -hmm. We find that trauma is cyclical. And until it, you know, you stop and you heal, it can really continue on. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so very proud that you do this. I'm so very proud that you provide this for um, children who don't have access. Um, That is amazing. Yeah, it's really important. It was, that was my life is I was really struggling and seen as like this bad, disruptive child in the school that I was going to, Mm. but we didn't have the finances to go to a private school or change schools. We were stuck. Mm. And because of a scholarship that someone gave, I was able to get out of that school and it really gave me the opportunity to say, you know what, I think I can make this happen and I think I can stop the cycle. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you never know how many children you are touching, how many lives, young lives you are actually, um, you know, involved in touching. I'm sure you, you kind of probably know some, uh, but I mean, that's just got to be so rewarding, such a rewarding job. Um, It absolutely is. It really is, Misty, because we know that that sum that we've raised um, in the last year will impact nearly 10,000 students. Mm. But, But when you think about the generational impact that that could have, we will never know the full impact of the work that we're doing because it is generational. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, talking about generational, you you know, before we started podcasting, you were talking about some very abusive things that your mother endured um, and you witnessed as a child, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and would you like to talk about a little bit of that? Yes, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I used to not talk about my story. I was really embarrassed and um, I got an opportunity to write a memoir And in that process of going through my life, all of these stories really started connecting itself to how I threaded through my adulthood. Um, But when we were a child, um, my experience with domestic abuse started as a toddler. Um, My biological father attempted to murder my mom um, with an axe. Mm -hmm. And my sister and I were both home. And he, he almost did it. Uh, but thankfully, there was a stranger. Um, a, the, the neighbor came over to ask my mom to babysit his twin girls. And through the siding glass door, he happened to be there at the right time and was able to call the police. So the police um, came, their guns drawn and broke into the house and were able to get us to safety at the Alice Paul Domestic Abuse Shelter in my area, which is located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. And we found a safe haven to to relax and have comfort and have kindness. And the work that these women have done and the sacrifices that those workers are doing in their everyday lives to, to heal and protect families and women like us is so important. I absolutely adore that um, because, you know, 
I myself, I do not work in a shelter. However, I work for, um, you know, I work for women, uh, you know, as an advocate and a case manager. So I, I solely, I felt that while you were talking. I felt that, um, you know, I, I lead women to shelter, if that makes sense, um, and help women get to where they need to be. Um, and protect women through protection orders and, and things like that and that nature. So I felt that deeply. I really did. So, and I think to your point, what you do is so important, Misty, because what I've learned through my journey um, is the, the criminal system wasn't really prepared back in the 90s mm -mm. for justice to be served. And um, I, I've watched... You know, I, I obviously went through that and um, several years later, I had a stepfather that um, sexually abused me for about seven years. And um, when we and he had multiple victims. And when we went to court over this, he walked away a free man. And it just shows how much the justice system sometimes has been difficult for victims to navigate. Mm -hmm. And we oftentimes are re-victimized through pursuing justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Um, and, I, and I really kind of feel like that um, not only the laws um, desperately need to be changed and, and better equipped to help victims, but also, you know, judges and different people in the, um, in the court systems. They need to be trauma-informed. Um, mm -hmm. It is so important that they are trauma-informed because, you know, they need to uplift the victim. They need to be there. They need to be a support system, and they need to help the victim as much as an advocate needs to help the victim. So, yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you 100%. Um, so, and I think... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I no. think for the, the court system, especially with the situation with my stepfather... You know, he did that for seven years to me, and he had multiple victims on this char these charges, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember when I look back thinking, and this is a lot of what my book is about, how we were looked at as um, in the wrong, and we were scrutinized because we were angry, right? And mm -hmm. we showed anger on the stands, mm -hmm. and that was not supposed to be something that you should show. Mm -hmm. And I think that that does such a disservice to victims because we have a rightful anger because it's born out of injustice, it's born out of abuse, and we've been hurt. Absolutely. And so I think when women are on the stand or victims are on the stand, when we are negatively judged for having or showing some anger, it does such a disservice and really victimizes victims again. Absolutely. 100%, 100%, because, well, when you have a perpetrator, someone who's done something so horrific as he did, mm -hmm. I'm sure he was manipulative and just as, oh, calm, yes. and just as calm and, and, you know, of course, probably, I'm sure he was lying. Um, and mm -hmm. he probably had a really good slick attorney. Um, so, you know, when you have someone like that and they're just like, oh, you know, so calm and collected and, you know, and then of course, if this person ever like worked 
in the public eye or he was, or, you know, had a good job or something like that. People are prone to not believe that this person was capable of doing such a, a horrific thing. Right. And, mm-hmm. and then you Absolutely. say, yeah. And then you see a family who's torn apart mm-hmm. and it's like, Oh, well, yeah. they're just mad. They're just mad. They're just taking this out on whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, I get that. It it is. It's really hard to face your abuser in court and sit there and testify and go through all of those awful details. And you Mm. have to go into detail, every little detail of what happened and to have to do that in front of a crowd, in front of the person that did this to you while they are, you know, sitting there with a smirk on their face Mm. as if they're going to win again. And then they do. Mm. That is a very difficult, dark time for victims. And so I appreciate the work that you're doing, helping, um, you know, victims being a case manager because you're giving them access to tools that can really help them in the future Mm -hmm. where we didn't have that as a family Right. Yeah. When we were going through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the calm before the storm, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, and, and I've always said that as an advocate, a court advocate, legal advocate that I am, I like to be that soft place to land, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, for a victim who is emotionally distraught, who is going through all of those emotions, because, you know, just one glance across the courtroom from their abuser, that's all it takes. Mm-hmm you know, to mm-hmm. re-trigger the moment to, you know, harass her. You know, people don't understand that those looks, it's sometimes just about looks, mm-hmm. you know, it, and that might be all it is. It's just, he looked at you, but it was a frightful look. It was a narcissistic look. It was a smirk. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> victims need to know that they're, they're safe and that yeah. everything's going to be okay. You know? Yeah, and to that to that point, I remember after the verdict, and it wasn't a jury trial; mm-hmm. it was a, a bench trial. Um, he he won that motion so that there was not a jury. Mm-hmm. So the judge was the sole decision maker in the outcome, and the judge cried mm. on on his the stand and said, "I I believe them, but the burden of proof is so high in a criminal case." that by law, I have to say you're not guilty. And I remember when you say that look, as the judge went back to his chambers and we turned around to leave, my stepfather looked at me in the face and went, ha, I won. Mm. And I think about that. It has been over a decade, Mm. Misty, and I still think about that. Oh, that just gave me chills. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that is very chilling. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry that you had to to deal with that, you know, um, that you had to relive that and that you had that type of exchange that you had to actually deal with because it's so unfair um, mm-hmm. as a victim and as someone, um, you know, who deserved justice. Mm-hmm. That's just not fair. Mm-hmm. Not fair. And I, I think the <clears throat> hardest thing is, especially for women that go through the process not because they want justice for themselves, but Mm -hmm. they want that pattern to not affect any other women. Like they need justice so that it stops in its tracks. And this, this perpetrator is sentenced so that he can't go out and victimize other people. 
-hmm. So for me, it was so hard because I didn't go into that prosecution wanting anything for myself, but just to stop him to not do it to other people. And it didn't happen. So I felt so much like I failed the next victim. Right. But but ultimately you didn't. You didn't because it wasn't your fault. And, you know, I hope that that in some way, which I'm hoping over and, and as a remarkable human being as you are and a woman, um, that you know now that that, that burden should not be yours to carry. Ever. Absolutely. Yeah, Ever. absolutely. And you're right. Like laws need to change. Mm -hmm. There needs to be better investigative steps when it comes to children and youth services. And we need to change the processes of how these are investigated and um, administered through the court system so that it protects victims. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, kind of like spinning the wheels a little bit differently. Um, how has this affected, like, how did this affect your, <clears throat> like your, your future relationships through your life? That is such a good question. And I have never publicly talked about this and it's mm. another thing that will um, be in my book, but okay. I never knew what love really was. Mm. I had no clear definition of what it was. And even though after um, I actually moved to North Carolina the day after I testified against my stepfather and I packed up everything and I moved um, to North Carolina and I, there was a man that was really nice to me at first, really nice to me. And I was alone. I didn't have any family around and I was like, wow, he's being really nice. But for some reason, because someone was nice to me, right, mm -hmm. I felt like I owed him to continue to be there. And as he got more angry and more violent, right, mm -hmm. I would still stay because he was nice to me at one, one point. And I felt like that was love. And um, I, I eventually got out of that marriage, thankfully, because I had come home and I wanted to leave and he had not changed our son's, you know, diaper. And it made me upset that I had to come home on lunch and he was, you know, dripping wet. Mm. And so I, I cleaned our son up. I put him in his car seat and said I was going to go to my, you know, drive um, to my sister's. And it got really, really violent. Um, I don't know if you know, like those toilet paper holders that are mm. weighted at the bottom. Yes. Yes. Um, so I was trying to leave and he would not let me. Um, and I had my son in the car seat and he cornered me into the bathroom and pushed me over and he put that weighted toilet paper holder over my head and was ready to smash it down on me. Mm. And I, I just closed my eyes and I kicked with all my might. And that, that got me a few seconds to get out of the house as quickly as I could. And I just ran with my son, ran. And um, my my ex-husband, he ended up catching me. And, and this is where you say like the manipulation is because then he's the one that called the police. Mm. Mm. He's the one. And I was really scared because his mom worked at the courthouse for 30 years. Oh. Um, 
he was a man that, um, you know, was charged with drug trafficking, right? And mm-hmm. never served a day in jail. So I knew that he was very legally connected and I was scared. Um, but, but thankfully, um, the cop that showed up really, he took me to the side and he said, Elise, I've been to many calls like this and I'm telling you, sweetheart, it's not going to end. It's not going to end in any positive way. You pack your stuff and you leave and you never look back. And I did. Wow. How amazing. I'm proud that you're out. I'm proud that you left. And I'm proud that you're here now to talk about overcoming all of this because you've overcome a lot. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, Mm -hmm. from generational, like going through all of that, um, speaking about all of that, going through that with your stepfather too, uh, court, and then, you know, coming through uh, an abusive relationship in your adult life. I mean, that's, that's a lot to deal with. Um, yeah, it's, is. it's been, it's been really hard. I think, you know, it, I always say I didn't recognize that I didn't heal mm-hmm. until I was about 28 years old is whenever I realized, wow, I'm really going through this same cycle. And I need time to process. And I I ended up going through a a court system, you know, for custody Mm -hmm. for my son. And here I was, I thought I healed, but I had to go up on the stand for a custody trial and I froze. Mm. And I never realized that that was going to happen. And I didn't realize how much PTSD I had from the situation with my stepfather Mm. So I went in so unprepared and I froze and, um, the, I have never said this publicly, but that, that judge, um, granted custody to my son's father, who was a 13 time, um, felony drug, like, um, drug addict. Um, he had just recently killed someone in a car, ran them over and they gave custody to him because I could not speak on this stand Mm. and I lost my son and I had to fight through a higher private investigator and go through the courts. Obviously my son is now back with me, but going through and being manipulated like that Mm. and not understanding how deep those wounds and that trauma was really affected my adulthood until that moment is when I realized, Elise, it's time to heal. And you keep thinking that you're okay, but a lot of stuff has happened to you and you have to, have to go talk this out with someone. Absolutely. I'm so proud of you, Elise. Thank you. It's I'm been so, a lot of work. It's been a I, lot of dark times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I can, you know, I can relate to that so much because, you know, my life's not been easy as well. Um, and yeah. so, I, yeah, I have quite the story. I have never wrote a memoir like you have. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. And, and it's a journey. I mean, and healing is not something that happens overnight. And I think for some survivors, they they feel like, okay, you know, I want to be an advocate the very next day or I want to be an advocate two months from now. 
or even some ladies that are actually going through DV would like to advocate for women, but it's a healing journey, a healing process that you have to take um, in order to get to where you need to be in life, you know? And I'm so proud of you because you've overcame so much and you're so amazing. So whenever they, um, whoever voted you as the remarkable woman of 2023 lady, and now here you are to go into nationals, Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, come on now, come on. It is, I know, it is, <clears throat> it's one of those things that, and I'm sure so many domestic abuse victims or other abuse victims can relate to. Mm -hmm. I remember being so desperate, yeah, so desperate for a change. Mm -hmm. And I just would call out to God and say, I can't, what do you want from me? I, you have you have put me through hell, wow. <laughs> you know, I can't, yeah. I can't take any more. What do you want? And to now go through the healing journey and start this company and give back and receive these awards. It's, it makes me look back and connect all the dots to say like, you know, I was being shaped into someone that is resilient mm -hmm. and that can help others. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why I think I went through it. Well, and, you know, we we oftentimes don't realize that we're going through things. We, you know, we're like, well, why, why me? You know, why am I going through all this stuff? You know, uh, is it ever going to get any better? Is things going to change? And, and you know, I was in those those types of things where I thought, man, is anything ever going to get any better? Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you're right. It, it does shape you to be um, very resilient. Um and, and you're a little fighter. You're a little spitfire. And, and um, I'm very, very proud of you. And and I'm so proud that you've overcome everything and that you're here today um, to talk about this with me and that you opened up about some things that you said you've never even spoke publicly about. So mm -hmm. yes. that's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think I, I keep saying I need to be open and honest mm -hmm. because if someone would see me now, right, there's mm -hmm. a little girl out there that sees me now, Misty, mm -hmm. I don't want her to think that if her life's hard, she's never going to get to where I am. Yeah. Like I want to show and be honest about the road that it took and the fire that I walked through to get to this point because it wasn't easy. And I want to give hope to the other girls out there or other victims that we can overcome and when we do you better watch out <laughs> yeah <'cause> we're <laughs> because we're all like we phoenix well. we're like phoenixes that rise from the fire yes absolutely Abs yeah so um we've got like a few minutes left so give everyone kind of like a quick rundown of where they can find you how they can locate you like to follow your work and your remarkable rewards um and all that great stuff well um the uh only social media that i really use a lot is LinkedIn. So it would be um, Elise Maslonic um, on LinkedIn. That is where I update everyone on the progress of my memoir. And we are going to be about halfway through the memoir at the end of this month. So we're hoping to have a final manuscript by about June, July. And um, yeah, I would love for you guys to connect with me. And if I can um, you know, help either inspire you or answer questions for you, I, I'd be more than happy to. I absolutely love that and adore you so much. And I'm so proud that we've got a chance to connect um, because, you know, I'm telling you, 
This is an epidemic. What we go through mm-hmm. with domestic violence is something that, you know, we all need to be mindful of. Um, education is a major key and, and plays a major role. People in the public need to be more educated um, about domestic violence, and that'll keep people from victim you know, blaming and, and shaming mm-hmm. people from having been a victim. So, you know, it's just a very important thing that as advocates and as women, you know, we're just kind of all connected at the hill. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I am, I'm just inspired by you too, Misty. Oh, um, before we go, it's the, the work that you do. I know just from talking with you, you are so committed. So you should be proud of the work that you're doing because I know that it's making a difference. Thank you so much, Elise. I really appreciate that. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So, hey, it's a wrap and we're about to go. So listen, guys, um, I hope that you're having a great day and I hope you have a great week. Remember, make someone smile. Be kind. It doesn't cost anything to be kind. And remember, if anyone is asking you for money to record your voice and to tell your story, it's not good and it's not right. So don't do it. Follow I'm a Survivor podcast. Reach out at me if you want to be a guest on the podcast. My email is hmisty387 at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Elise. Bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.